Episode 1 of the Mr Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. Yes, it has been over two years since I was last on the air with the Tez Maths Podcast. And during that time, at least three people have asked when I will return. Well, you can't keep ignoring your public, so I'm back with a brand new podcast. Each episode, I will bring you an interview with someone from the world of maths that I find interesting. I will try to ask them the questions that you want to hear. And I hope the result will be something that is interesting to maths teachers and maths enthusiasts all around the world. You can contact me with questions for my future guests on Twitter, where I am at MrBartonMaths, or via my website and blog, which can be found at MrBartonMaths.com. To kickstart this new series, we will have some GCSE maths specials, featuring interviews with leading figures from each of the main exam boards, or rewarding bodies, as I think I'm supposed to call them. First up, we have Andrew Taylor, the head of maths at AQA. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, I am in no way affiliated with AQA or any of the exam boards, but I did do some work for AQA over the summer, reviewing and writing a report on their sample assessment materials. AQA also provide free topic-specific quizzes for my Diagnostic Questions website for the new GCSE, and I am not ashamed to advise you to check them out, no matter which board you're thinking of using, as they are simply amazing. They can be found at diagnosticquestions.com forward slash AQA. And for the record, at our school, we use Edexcel for the current GCSEs and AQA for A-Level and the outstanding Level 2 certificate in further maths. We have made no decision on who we are going with for the new GCSE. I asked Andrew many questions, including, does he feel that the maths GCSE actually needed changing? What are the biggest differences between the current and new specs? What tier of entry would he recommend for a grade C student? And the big one, why should schools choose AQA ahead of the other exam boards? I spoke to Andrew over Skype, so the recording quality is a little bit ropey, but hopefully you will hear everything okay. I also seem to have adopted somewhat of a serious Paxman-like humorless tone. No idea where that come from, but I will promise I will work on this in future weeks. I hope you enjoy the interview and I will return at the end with a few notes and a podcast puzzle. See you on the other side. Andrew Taylor, thank you for joining us on the podcast. And I'd like to start with some maths speed dating questions. So my my first question is, what is your favourite number and why? I think my favourite number, sounds a bit pretentious this one, but is uh, is the golden ratio, is root 5 plus 1 over 2. And I guess my reason why is because when I I was teaching for students, just being able to express a number like that, and they say, well, that's not a number, (laughs) and explaining why it in fact is, and then just all all the work and the engaging work that just comes from that number and that idea uh, has been something I always loved teaching. So uh, that's my favourite number. A lovely choice and a good start to the speed date, that. Well, question number two, what was your favourite topic in maths as a student? As a student, around the kind of A-level pure maths stuff, it's so long ago that I can't, I can't <laughs> remember the specifics, but that was, that was what I really enjoyed at school. But then as a teacher, it was, even though I hated it at school, it was, it was teaching the mechanics that I really enjoyed and really got into. Nice. And finally, um, what would you like to do if you weren't the head of maths at AQA? There's, there's still a part of me somewhere that, that misses teaching hugely, although I, I don't think now I'd ever go back to it. But it's, it's still at its best. It's still the most rewarding thing I've ever done. What made you leave teaching? Uh, I think it was it was it was that point of having been a head of department at two schools for some years. And I think I was personally getting a bit jaded with that the whole performance culture and league tables thing was was uh i wasn't you know particularly happy with that uh and i think i think i needed a change personally and it just happened that that 
AQA was was forming at that time, and uh, and I was kind of yeah in between either thinking about moving to a school and going back to full-time teaching and ceasing to be a head of department or doing something else. And this was the something else that came up and I've not regretted a, a moment of it, to be honest. And do you, what do you miss in particular about teaching, if you were to pick one thing? It's it's the kids and, and uh, you know, their capacity to, to amaze, surprise and delight. I mean, they can do lots of other things as well. And I know, <laughs> I know I'm looking at it, you know, with, with a lot of hindsight and possibly rose colored spectacles, but it's at, at its best working with young people is, is, is just such a, a, a great and uh, a great privilege, really. Nice. Well, let's let's talk a bit about your current job then. So, um, so you're head of maths at AQA. Could you um, describe like a what would be an average week in your job? Spending a lot of time on Virgin trains. <laughs> I, I spend quite a lot of time travelling. That's usually because I'm speaking to teachers, you know, doing various presentations, events, conferences, hour meetings up and down the country. So I do quite a lot of that. But also, of course, we've got an office in Guildford, and I try and and, and get there fairly regularly, and a lot of time dealing with both off-qual and the DFE, so that involves quite a lot of trips to London. So there's a fair amount of travelling. My job really, in the main, splits into perhaps four areas. The first is is that element of supporting teachers with our qualifications, so whether that's around resources, whether that's uh, about actually turning up events and talking to people, whether it's doing stuff online, that probably takes up, that's probably the biggest slice of my time. Then the next is the whole development side, developing new qualifications, working with the regulator, sometimes arguing with the regulator, often working very closely with, with the other exam boards because we, certainly in development, we tend to have a very common view at the start about what's what's right and, and we need to represent that to Ofqual and particularly to the DFE. Then these days I have a lot less to do with the management and the running of actual exam series. So we've just had a November series and you know, my team operate that and it runs smooth and it's really only if it doesn't run smoothly that I get very involved in that. Uh, and then the other part is the thing of being a manager and having a team of 20 odd people to look after and work with and, 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 and to work with other parts of AQA as a business, all that kind of internal management and senior leadership stuff. And what's your what's your favourite part of your job? It's a mix between the development stuff. I mean, I really enjoy the nitty gritty of assessment design and development. So working, you know, even when it's problematic, I still, you know, even when we're getting rejected by Ofqual and you've got to put an argument together, I do get quite excited by that stuff. I have to, incredibly nerdy, but I do. Uh, and uh, and then. The second best bit is is working with and meeting with teachers and and being told by them either that we've got some good qualifications. I mean, every time I meet teachers and they say level two certificate in further maths, that's working really well. And, and I know you've said it to me, Craig. I'm a big fan. Uh, big fan. Yeah, and so that's always nice. And yeah, and, and that sense that at the end of it all, I hope that I'm doing something that is is good for young people and good for mathematics education. And and you know, that's all, that's what I've you know, sort of done all through my career. So I hope I'm continuing to do that and haven't become this uh, corporate monster that people sometimes <laughs> think exam boards are. And have um, has the pressure of your job changed over the last few years? I'm, I'm thinking more with kind of the increased use of social media and Twitter and blogging. Everything's a lot more kind of in the public domain. Has it, has it changed a it's, lot? It's, when I started and going back to 2001, it was it was very much about the operational thing of getting a question paper out, making sure that was error free and worked and getting it marked and grade awarding and and, and dealing very much with with the the you know, the operational side of the business and uh, meetings with teachers were very much structured and we did it at certain times and and and, and it was it was quite formulaic and it was a much less pressured environment uh, i think as as education has become more politicized then examinations have become much polit more politicized and we are very much operating in in a goldfish bowl and i think social media is interesting sometimes amusing sometimes frustrating but i think overwhelmingly it's we see it as uh, as a positive you know we've got a very healthy uh, Twitter presence that I think is well received by teachers. It's a great way for us to take 
take the pulse of what's happening in the community and, and to interact with that community. So, so certainly we see that as a, as a big plus in what we do. OK, let's turn our attention to the, uh, the current GCSE specification, which is in its final year. So firstly, any big surprises lined up for the last ever paper? No. <laughs> Easy answer. Nice. Um, and could you just tell me, this is more for my own kind of personal interest, but hopefully other people are interested in this. How, do the, how does the paper actually get written? So if we take, for example, this paper that the students will be sitting in May and June of 2016, mm-hmm. when, when did that kind of start to come together? Who writes it? Who sees it? Who checks it? Can you just talk us through the process? Yeah. So that process starts something around, I mean, that paper will have been signed off January and that would have been the end point of of perhaps a best part of a 12-month process. I mean, it doesn't need to take that long, but what we we tend to do is all our papers kind of run in parallel and they stop and start and and we go through various phases. So there's at at, at the heart of it are some hugely experienced writers, uh, all of them teachers or ex-teachers, a team, core team of, of... perhaps four or five people who will draft the paper, share that with each other, rip it apart if necessary, make suggestions. Uh, A key role is that of the reviser, and we have very good revisers in in GCSE Maths who ensures that that everything we're testing is on the specification, is appropriate, that we cover in the specification as we're obliged to do, and all that technical stuff, as well as commenting on quality, on wording, on sense and ambiguity. So there's a drafting process and then there are lengthy checking processes throughout that. So it, it's obviously proofread. It's checked, double checked, triple checked by my colleagues in the office. Not by me because in order to be able to talk to teachers, I purposely don't have sight of, of live papers. And then it's, it's scrutinised twice, which is essentially somebody sitting down and doing it as a candidate. They do that once without the mark scheme, and then it happens again with the mark scheme. So they're checking that the mark scheme works, that the timing feels right, and so on and so forth. We involve language experts, particularly to ensure that we're not using language that would disadvantage any group. So, so we, we've often worked with the British Association for Teachers of the Deaf, and they, they give us advice on, on, on the kind of language you use. And then eventually, as I say, around January for a summer exam, it gets passed for press. But then, of course, that paper has to be modified, put into Braille versions, large print versions, whatever else is, is required, as well as getting printed. Then the printed copy gets comes back to us and gets checked to make sure the print hasn't done anything crazy with it. Uh, and then eventually it gets dispatched and ends up in front of uh, a young person. Following on from that process, how 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 are the grade boundaries de- decided? Because there's always in this summer in particular, uh, across all the boards, there was loads of discussion on Twitter about the grade boundary has gone up and teachers are fuming left, right, and centre. Yeah. Can you talk us through how the grade boundaries are actually decided? Okay, so the the main driver for grade boundaries, particularly in a subject as big as maths, is is statistical. So uh, you've probably heard off-qual and others talk about comparable outcomes Uh, and and so we have some knowledge of the prior attainment key stage two results of probably the majority of students who will sit that paper so we will look at the prior attainment of say all the 16 year olds that are, are sitting that paper and we've done that over years and so there is a a known correspondence between prior attainment and likely GCSE attainment. So that gives us for that for that group uh, an idea of what we expect. Uh, and so we we propose grade boundaries within a range to meet those expectations. And obviously we look at how that balances across the different papers and of crucially how that balances across the two tiers. So we use we use the performance in common questions across the two tiers uh, and a system called test equating, which don't ask me to explain it because I don't understand it. But my research colleagues do. And they so they all that information gives us a sense of the area that we're working in. And then it's down to those same examiners who wrote and led the marking of the paper, led by the chair of examiners to to look at, at student scripts in those areas and confirm 
that that statistical reasoning is sound in terms of how students have actually performed in that area and they will then come down uh, at a boundary mark. And what's to stop you just kind of lowering it, lowering the grade boundaries a little bit so more people pass and everyone ends up loving AQA? Uh, well, that's what Ofqual are there for, uh, in part, that is, and, and many other things. So uh, we are very strictly controlled about how far outside those statistical expectations we can go. And if we go outside those expectations, we have to have very strong evidence to support that and to explain why that is uh, and and Ofqual have the right to accept that judgment, which they generally do because we present good, strong arguments. We wouldn't do that kind of action lightly, uh, but they have the right to, to, to tell us that we can't do that. And again, in a, in, a, in a subject like maths, they will look across the awards of all the boards to make sure that, that, that they are commensurate and balanced. I see. And... Um- Turning our attention to the new GCSE now, mm-hmm. um, in your opinion, did GCSE maths need reforming? Uh, well, that's, that's, that's a good question, because it, in reading some of the things that apparently GCSE maths didn't do in the past, uh, I thought, well, it, it, yes, it did. Yes, we had problem solving. Yes, we did this. Yes, there was... Uh, significant challenge at the top end uh so i'm i'm not sure it needed reforming to the extent that happened i think a key thing was the value of mathematics as a subject and and that you know that that sense that it should be on a par with english and be two gcses and of course we we, we ran the link pair pilot uh, along those lines uh but once that was not accepted, but this sense that mathematics was the big fat GCSE, as uh, as the head of Ofqual uh, has described it, then I guess that led to significant changes. And I think what we've ended up with after after an interesting period, I'll, I'll, I can say, is is something that that I hope, from our point of view, we've we've made certainly challenging because that what that's what we were asked to do that's what that's what the expectations of government were but something that that teachers can can begin to see is is realistic and attainable for their students and it was that balance that we were always seeking seeking to find and in seeking that balance as 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 you know we we came in for a lot of criticism that we were the ones who were who were dumbing down the aspirations of government when in fact we were we were making those aspirations realistic would be my take on it well let's let's look at this interesting period then again can you can you talk us through from kind of how how it's worked from aqa's perspective from seeing the first seeing the program of study when they came out right through to the creation of sample assessment materials the meetings with ofqual the subsequent reforms you've made through to kind of where we are today can you just talk us through the kind of the main parts of that process yeah i mean it's it's a, a again like so many things in this it's a very lengthy process uh and the once once the program of studies programs of study out once the the expert panel that the the dfe uh, had put together had, had got their recommended content uh, and we had some discussions uh, with people like Charlie Strip around that content but were uh, I think broadly broadly comfortable with where that was going uh, and then we got into the the discussions about the if you like the rules of the game the, the constraints that, that were on us and certainly from, from my point of view those constraints uh, rightly or wrongly were significantly tighter than anything we've had for for a long time can you give us what some of those constraints were so things like the the balance of content in any exam we, we we've not been we've not been told exactly how that should be we, it, it's been left to us to produce a, a, a good balanced papers across the content but but this time we were told that in the foundation tier 25 percent of the marks had to be on number 25 percent on ratio and proportion 15 percent on geometry and measures 15 percent on statistics and i guess that leaves 20 percent on algebra and i've done that off the top of my head so i hope it was right uh and and and, and we're told that's what we had to meet 
the the detail around the assessment objectives was was set out uh, with in in a much finer, more granular way than it ever had been. The requirements to target proportions of the paper at certain grades, as far as that is ever possible, uh, was, was a constraint. And then there were other things that we used to, like percentage of, of calculator, non-calculator, that was fine, that was expected. And again, the approach to assessment objectives is much, much tighter, so that we are assigning, essentially assigning the assessment objective to every mark rather than at question level. So we have to justify in any question, that marks AO2, that one's AO1, that one's AO3, which, which makes the drafting and redrafting technically extremely difficult and has the danger of stifling good quality writing. Uh, and so the challenge for me and, and, and for my colleagues is not to stifle innovation and, and good quality writing and not to make the, the process of getting the grid right, as we call it, because all this is all captured on an enormous spreadsheet, get in the way of, of, of ending up with a, a, a well-balanced paper that ramps in demand in the way that we would want it to, that uh, doesn't let the mathematics uh, be obscured by language, by layout, uh, by unnecessary wording, and, and all those important things, and that we have as much confidence as we can have based on literally in the, in the collective case, hundreds of years of experience at doing this, uh, we have as much confidence as we can that each question will do its job for where it is in the exam. There is no point, and I say this every time I speak to teachers, there is no point in having questions that nobody can answer and there's no point in having many questions that everybody can answer because the purpose, the first purpose of an exam is to, is to sort the cohort of students taking it out and to do that by measuring what's valued in the subject and, and that's the main thing one of the most popular questions that have come in on twitter when the people knew i was talking to you and the and the other heads of maths at the exam boards is that are you confident that the most recent set of sample assessment materials that you've produced are going to be a fair reflection of the content difficulty and style of what we're actually going to see in the gcse's next year yes I think we are. I think we have now produced three full sets of papers and because of the changed requirements uh, that Ofqual made of us, we've revisited all those three sets of papers and that gave us an opportunity to not only make sure we we're meeting Ofqual's change requirements, but it also gave us an opportunity to revisit those papers to make some changes. The trials we did, your very useful comments on those trials, and, and, and hopefully in part the comments that I made on those trials, were very useful for the examiners in revising those papers. So I would say that, as we say on the front of those papers, these are of the standard demand and style you, you can expect in 2017, other than to say... By the time we're writing the 27 papers, we'll be even better at that because we're, you know, it, it is a, a much changed GCSE and, and we're getting better and better every time, every time we write it. And better and better doesn't mean harder, doesn't mean easier. It just means better in terms of that ramping of demand, in terms of ensuring every question is doing what we set out for it to do. And you, you've said that this is a, a significant change from, from the past GCSE, and, and I certainly agree with that um, across all, all the awarding bodies and having read the programme of study. What, what do you think are the most kind of significant changes, if you could kind of list them? I think it's, it's the size and therefore uh, the expanded content that certainly you know, has challenges for teaching and also challenges in that it makes the examination less predictable because there's more that we can assess. And then it's the, the change in the grading and tiering arrangements that leading to an increase in demand at each tier. So the, the, the foundation paper now is grades one to five. So uh, whilst it starts those papers start at the same level of demand as, as the current papers. They go beyond where the current foundation tier papers go and have more focus on that upper half of the grade range. And that's whereas the higher tier papers start at a, 
uh, at grade four, which is broadly equivalent to the current grade C. So they're starting at a higher level of demand than current papers and have a lot more concentration on the top grades seven, eight and nine, uh, and therefore lots and lots of, of, of challenging material for, for the best students. Beyond that, whilst problem solving isn't new, the way it's being approached and the size of it is somewhat different. And the reasoning demands are somewhat greater. And, and that's perhaps the biggest difference there are those questions that are starting to appear in the new specification more and more asking students to explain somebody's method or where did such a body go wrong with that or reflect on your assumptions made in working through this. Those kind of not just doing the question and getting the answer, but actually critically looking at how either they or uh, you know, somebody we've invented for the purpose of the question has gone through and done something. And that's a big, a big shift in question style. And if you could change something yourself about the new GCSE and include it, whether it be a topic or, or a different kind of emphasis of, of coverage, is, is there anything that you personally would like to see in this new GCSE that isn't going to be in there? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't. I, I, I'm, I'm going to dodge that by saying <laughs> what I would have liked to have seen. I, t- I talked about the balance of content. I, I, I would like to have seen that balance being slightly different because I think the geometry and measures areas of content and there's a lot of good important stuff in there has been somewhat squeezed uh, in this new GCSE. As I said, on Foundation 2, it's only 15% of the marks and there's a lot of material there uh, that can lead to good, well-balanced assessment. And, and it concerns me that that's been squeezed. So I would have made those weightings somewhat different. If I'd have been doing it, I think, I think the, way tier, the way tiering operates uh, has never been massively uh, satisfactory in that teachers have to make a decision at, at a very key point in, in, in the range and where there are a lot of students. Uh, and I think, yeah, maybe, maybe we could have looked harder and longer at, at what is the most effective way to, uh, differentiate in maths papers. I think some kind of tiering, some kind of differentiation is essential. Uh, we couldn't have untiered papers, uh, to, to be, you know, taken by, by such a large range of the population. But maybe it, it, I, I would have looked at a, a different way of doing it. But I'm not sure what that different way would have been. Which is probably why we didn't, we didn't do it. it it's, you know, maybe the tiering we've got now is, is, is the least worst system. Let's take a look at what support you're, you've got for schools, because it's, it's a scary fact that the current year 10s will be the first cohort to sit this new GCSE. And, and I know at our school, we've, we've tried as a department to bring in some strategies to help prepare um, our students and our staff as best as possible. But if you could just outline what, what support or resources do you have available for teachers? It, I mean, more than we've ever done is the first thing to say. Uh, and I think that's probably true of all, all the boards in, in terms of stuff that's available free and we hope will, will support teaching and learning and preparing for assessment. So we've kind of organized our, our resources offer into, into a kind of plan, teach and assess groupings. So in the planning area, we hope and, and They've been you know, heavily downloaded from our site. Our, our route maps as outline schemes of work are, are widely used and they give us a framework to then hang other things on. So we focused in terms of free teaching resources on supporting those new and less familiar topics and particular topics that have, have been new to the foundation tier. Uh, and we've also focused teaching resources on on kind of bridging the gap between a year nine who haven't been following the new Key Stage 3 programme of study going into year 10 and going through this new GCSE. So we've got those bridging the gap resources. Uh, we're currently working on some a further resource package, looking at some of the new higher tier topics. And, and, and we're, we're, we've got people working on that just, just starting off now. But I think in terms of teaching resources, in a way, we... You know, we commission teachers to do that. We listen to what teachers want. But I guess our main thing and the thing that 
teachers look to us for is is in the assessment area. That's perfectly natural. So in addition to the complete papers, we've got three sets now. Eventually, there'll be there'll be five sets of those available for for people to use. We have topic tests in a traditional pen and paper mode, if you like, for every for every topic across that. Uh, outline route map scheme of work and their little 20 minute tests on each topic and, and give a sense of, of, of the, the scope of, of that topic and we're reproducing that through through your diagnostic question site so we'll have multiple choice quizzes two of them for each topic and I understand that works going nicely yeah looking back uh, as well into key stage three so we've got a suite of key stage three tests and what we uh, what we we've just launched this week is a tool to to be able to do some analysis of those key stage three tests and see uh, student strengths and weaknesses by content area through those. And that was released this week to support those key stage three tests. And we've got plans to do more with those. That's a, a growing area. One thing I haven't mentioned in the planning area is the teaching guidance document to support the specification. Uh, because if somebody just pick, picked up the spec and read it, they wouldn't necessarily understand the scope of what needs to be covered there. And so the teaching guidance is there to fill that gap and to exemplify and explain the scope of what's, what our expectations are against every part of the specification. But I guess our resources on All About Maths are, in, in some ways, it's, uh, it's a bit of a fourth bridge job. We never, we never stop. We never stop listening to teachers uh, and finding out what they want. We look at what's popular and what's not. So, for example, the teaching guidance, I think, has had 7,000 downloads. So, clearly, that's something that teachers want from us. So, we'll look at how we can enhance that. The Key Stage 3 tests have had, I think, it, it's, it's over 100,000 unique downloads now. So, clearly, there's an appetite for those. And so, we want to pay attention to, okay, so what more can we do in that area? How can we help? teachers to understand progress in that area uh, what else can we do and then all that is kind of online materials what we're also very keen to do because a we enjoy it and b we think teachers find it effective is to maintain a high level of face-to-face -face contact both in terms of my team and I going up and down the country talking to teachers explaining things to teachers uh, responding to their needs but also are 17 regionally based maths advocates whose whose job is not to sell AQA but to promote good teaching and learning in their regions however they can find ways to do that and however schools in those areas want that to happen so massive amount of of, of stuff going on all of it free and all of it part of of, of what we ought to be doing as an educational charity and that's available on all about maths is that right yeah yeah, so All About Maths is our, our key resources site. We developed it for the last GCSE redevelopment, sort of, sort of kind of around 20, 2009, 2010, but it's, it's been massively enhanced for this new GCSE and, of course, also covers things like our core maths qualification. It will cover the new A level as, as it's reformed, and, and, and there's lots of stuff for the current specifications as well in terms of resource and in terms of those very simple things like where do I find the paper that was sat last week where you go on all about maths and there are you know the November papers that were that were sat the other week and now that we, we're getting to point of grade awarding the examiner's report uh, and the final mark schemes will, will go up alongside those so there's that current stuff that, uh, that that we're maintaining as well. What questions are you being asked most when you visit schools? What are the grade boundaries going to be? <laughs> uh, yeah, it, and, it's, and it's, it's the one we're always asked, and it's the one we, we can never answer because we don't know. We don't know, and my, my best guess would be no better than yours, probably not as good as yours. But because I do what I do, people would perhaps give it more weight. All we can do and have been doing is gather what evidence we can, analyse that as best we can, make that available to teachers, and, uh, and, and so give them a deeper understanding of, of assessment and of the demands of this new GCSE and of how, however imperfectly it is at the moment, but how students are tackling it. And I say imperfectly because, of course, there are no students who've gone through a full course of study 
for this GCSD. And, and, and so anything we do has to allow for that and reflect that. But what we have managed to produce through through the trialing we did last Easter and through the, the trialing work that Ofqual did is we've got a lot of data. We've got a lot of really useful qualitative data about how students are tackling questions and, and you've seen, seen, seen some of that that work and that's on all about math and I think that is something that that teachers are finding useful to just look at that look at those questions look at real student answers and and think about how that might evolve their teaching but the more we can do with the data from those trials and and at the moment we're uh, we're working on that so we've got of the, of the students who did that trial back in April, they went on and, and, and completed their GCSE in the summer. So we now know, uh, we've now got performance data from those two things. So the first thing we did was to look at the correlation between the, the trial and, and actual GCSE results. And that's, that's very strong, particularly in papers one and two. I think paper three uh, in those trials didn't go well. Uh, for all kinds of reasons, but at least part of that was, was, was I'll be honest, that some of those questions could have been better, some of the ordering could have been better, and we've had an opportunity to learn from that and change that, as you're aware. But the, there is a, a, a strong correlation. The students who got, got Cs at the foundation tier in their GCSEs and took the foundation tier trial, the ones with the top marks are those same students. So, so that's encouraging. So we're looking now at what we, what, what we can actually say uh, about the range of marks that those students typically got and to wrap all the qualifying statements around that. You know, they weren't prepared for the exam. It wasn't done under exam conditions. It wasn't high stakes. They didn't necessarily have the full, all those things. But it's, it's some data that we can put out and we're hoping to do that early in the new year. And then it'd be nice to then do some other kind of trial and or some other data gathering evidence using students who have been following the new uh, programs of study and look to see what we can tell from that and what we can tell teachers about that. And day to day in the classroom, would you have any advice for teachers how they can best prepare students for this new GCSE? Is there any simple things that we could be doing? The best advice I heard is what Mark McCourt always says, you know, yeah, find out what students know, find out what they don't know, and teach them really well. And it's it's simple, but it, it remains true. It's not about finding ways to teach students to pass an examination. It's about teaching. It's and it's always been about teaching good mathematics with passion, with knowledge, and those students who've had that experience will succeed whatever the exam is. And and, and I, I I I firmly believe that. Uh, and and it's and it's certainly you know it's about attention to the basics but attention to the basics in a way that encourages deep understanding that can then be applied uh, to more complex situations to problem solving situations that students have got confidence in so build that confidence allow students to go wrong allow students to to, to talk about their methods to discuss what they're doing just stuff that that good teachers have been doing for years and, and will continue to do. I don't think there's any, there's no, there's no silver bullet for success in this examination. I've got the uh, most popular question that I've been asked by teachers um, to put forward to you now, and I don't think you're going to like it because it's slightly grade boundary related, but I'm going to go, for, I'm going to go for it anyway. If you've got a student who um, on the current GCSE spec, you predict them a grade C, what tier for the new GCSE would you imagine that they would be entered in? Would it be foundation or would it be higher? I think that would depend on where, if, if, if we're talking a CD borderline student, then on the higher tier there, I, I think, and this is a personal view, I think there is a great danger that on the higher tier they would be able to access so few of the marks that they wouldn't show any evidence of achievement and could easily end up uh, not getting graded. If we're talking about a strong grade C student who uh, on a good day may achieve a grade B and would almost certainly do the higher tier now, then I guess you've got to almost think about that individual student or that student group and think, okay, so are the, 
how how are they going to thrive when they go into an exam room and it's pretty challenging stuff from the off have they got the resilience to work through that uh, and and succeed on the higher tier and pick up some marks with with some of the the, the later stuff so have they been exposed to that higher tier material and have, have they got enough to get somewhere with some of that or are they very you know fairly meticulous students who who will diligently work through and and be more comfortable with more familiar work and work through that with relatively few mistakes and, and give a really strong performance across the foundation tier and get that grade four or five and you know it comes down to those students i mean my job is to make sure that whichever route those students take they're not disadvantaged by that but if if a student sits the higher tier and hasn't has barely got a clue how to begin because they've not been prepared for that stuff that the, the challenge is just too great and that and, and they barely score any marks then then no exam board is likely to be able to 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 grade them on that and i want i want to be able to grade on 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 a measure of positive achievement for, for all students uh, as, as far as i possibly can is it fair to say then that generally we you'd expect a shift towards more students being entered to foundation yes yeah, I think so. I, th- I, I think I think we'll see that, and I think we'll we'll certainly see that in the first years of the specification, and 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 then uh, teachers, as they always do, will will look at that, will look at performance, and decide whether that was the right judgment or whether for certain groups, certain individuals, uh, that might might shift over time. But uh, an examination is never the most positive experience in the world for anybody, but. I think it's a particular form of cruelty to, to stick students in for an exam where we know they, they're going to barely make headway in it. It's tough, though, isn't it? Because I, I, I think that tough, if, if yeah. I'm going to be entirely honest, if, if we have a, a student who we're pretty confident is going to get a grade C, we'll, we'll inevitably put them in for higher tier just, mm. just because they need so few marks to get the grade C in, in higher tier and mm. we can get a few bonus marks if we can teach them a few topics that easy predictable topics such as a simple vectors question or or maybe trial and improvement or something like that that can just boost them up then it's easier for them to get a grade c on the higher and i think a lot of teachers concerns certainly that i've been hearing is that if the level if the level five is the new grade c if for want of a better expression and the foundation paper tests 50% 50% grades one to three and 50% grades four to six, then I think a lot of teachers fear is that the it, the, the level boundaries or grade boundaries or whatever are going to be so high to get that level five that it's it's going to make more sense to put them in for the higher tier. And I think the, the extra thing there is, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the higher tier will have certainly award a few kind of notional level threes. Is, is that right? So you've got kind of almost a security net there just in case they, they, they miss out. Yeah, but it's 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 a small security net. It's it is a, likely to be a few, you know a few marks below the grade four boundary, uh, and yeah, I mean I mean I I absolutely understand that situation and 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 can you know can see the point of doing that. But I think if if we think again about the about the high tier grading it going from grade four to grade nine and the current high tier goes from grade D to A star. Would you put grade D students in for the higher tier who had who you weren't expecting to get anywhere near a grade C? Uh, because that's kind of the equivalent. And I don't know. And, it, and ultimately, it, it's 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 kind of you know it's it's not a question I can answer because it does it is about how how you teach your students and, and about and about their approach and uh, and 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 almost you know what how they will behave and it goes to that as i say to their resilience if you if you prepare students for the higher tier and they can show that resilience and, and keep going even though they find it a struggle and and it really can be forensic in an exam room about finding the marks they can pick up uh, and you've got absolute confidence that they can do that so that they will get you know a, a measurable mark something that that's that's worth having then then i can, I can understand that uh and of course maths is yeah maths is a cumulative subject you, you can't teach any topic in absolute isolation you know it builds on everything that's that's gone before 
realistically, we know that you know, students in exams and elsewhere make slips. And so in any exam, if they've got a higher threshold to reach, they will make mistakes and, and maybe not meet that threshold. Uh, as to where the grade boundaries might be in the foundation tier for grade four and grade five, well, you know, who knows? Of course, we, we want them to to be, you know, you want the top grade in any paper to be set at, at a high threshold, but that will depend uh, at least in part on on the performance of the students uh, who are doing it, back to comparable outcomes as we started with. Here's the, here's the big question, and I'm going to be asking this exact same thing to, to Graham from Edexcel and, and Neil from OCR. Um, if you've got teachers listening here are in two minds of which exam board to take, and my sense kind of traveling around the country and speaking to teachers is that there are teachers who are ready to jump ship, change exam boards. Nothing, nobody's taking anything for granted. So why should, why should a school choose AQA ahead of Edexcel and OCR or WJEC? I think it comes down to it, it's something, it's something I referred to as the main thing before that what we should do above all other things is properly sort out a cohort of students in a reliable, fair way that is, is about you know, testing mathematics in, in the proper way and, and testing what's valued in mathematics. So it's, it comes down to good assessment design and good assessment expertise and also comes down to can we do that consistently, not just once but time after time not in a predictable manner, but in a consistent and fair manner. And I think through through this whole development from, from the original specimen papers through to where we are now, I think AQA has demonstrated that consistency and that assessment expertise, I believe, far more clearly than the other boards have done. So I... And of course, I would say this, but in the position of the teacher, I would be looking at AQA and say they are giving me the confidence that I can trust them to do what is the main thing that they need to do. And the resources and the support are nice to have and very good things. And, and I would hold up our, our resources as comparable with anyone else's. But I think we do the main thing better than others. If we can just to turn our attention to the future, just for our, our last few moments, could you um, just reassure teachers and me included who think that this new GCSE may jeopardise the, the wonderful level two further maths qualification? What's the future of that qualification looking like? We hope it's looking good. Our intention has always been and remains to continue with the certificate in further maths through to 2018 at least, which I think is, is the length of time that it's accredited by Ofqual for. Before we get to that point, we will know what the new A-level looks like. We will certainly know what the new GCSE looks like, and we will therefore know what the best qualification is to, to really bridge that gap. And it might be of a somewhat different character to the current further math certificate and I, I, I really don't know the answer to that at the moment but certainly we are committed to continuing with it we st when we started it we didn't do it because it might get performance points we did it because we felt it was it was filling a gap in provision and so we will continue to offer it because it is there is still that that gap in provision for for potentially for the most able students if over time uh, the view from, from schools and teachers is actually we don't need it anymore because the new GCSE is absolutely the best preparation for A-level. The, then and only then we would consider withdrawing it. But I, I'm, we have absolutely no plans to withdraw it at the moment. And can you give us a bit of insight into how the A-level reform is progressing? As always, slowly, because we've been doing it since September 2012 in, in one form or another. So it seems you know, everything about A-level uh, seems to take a long, long time. And maybe that's right, because the, the complexities in mathematics in moving from modular to linear because of the interaction between maths and further maths are considerable and it would it was absolutely right to take all the time needed to to understand those and 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 think about the effect of those in terms of where we are now the off-call consultation on assessment objectives and other conditions 
is now live as of I think the middle of last week so I would urge all teachers to have a look at that and respond to that once the outcomes of that consultation are known in the new year and Ofqual can then finalise the assessment objectives and all the conditions and rules around A-level then we can finalise our development and I believe that at the moment we are looking to be submitting those qualifications to Ofqual for accreditation in early June so at that point, there will be the usual release of those draft materials, launch meetings. Uh, we'll start explaining what our resource and support offer around A-level is and so on. And if you were to summarise the kind of main differences between what this new A-level is going to be and what the current one is, as far as you know, what, what would they be? I guess the biggest difference is the one we all know about, which is 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 that that they are linear qualifications. So A level assessed at the end of a two year course, further maths assessed at the end of a two year course, and no interaction between between those those two. And for A level maths, that has also meant that all all of the content is is prescribed by the DfE and is compulsory for all boards and all students taking it. So it's common content across all boards. Some room for difference and optionality in further maths. A focus on the overarching themes uh, that that the A level A level advisory board came up with on problem solving, proof, and modelling which have always been there in A-level, but are, are going to be much more prominent. And this treatment of, of a large data set being an expectation of the teaching uh, of A-level maths, of the, the stats elements of A-level maths, and uh, something that will be reflected in the assessment. So I guess those are the big changes. Uh, but overall, unlike GCSE, the government policy drive isn't to create a more demanding A-level. You might say that those changes may well lead to a more demanding A-level, but that's not, that's not the, the policy intention. So just, just to wrap up, Andrew, would you be able to just tell teachers um, and listeners where they can access all the resources that you've talked about today, where they can get in contact with AQA, and if there's anything else you want to draw teachers' attention to that we haven't had a chance to discuss? All our resources are on all about maths so if you google all about maths you will you will that should be at the top of the list it usually is and uh there's a simple registration process and then all those materials are, are, are there and freely available to all teachers you know we don't check that you're entering for aqa or, or anything like that it they're, they're open to all and hopefully useful to all teachers so that's the main thing if you want to contact us uh then it's it's to email maths at aqa.org.uk or give us a ring on uh, 0161 957 3852 and you will speak to the lovely people who I can see now 10 feet away from my desk answering phone calls. Uh, no call centres here, as we like to say. Uh, and of course, there's uh, Mr. Barton's lovely diagnostic questions site, uh, which, as I said earlier, is is our hosting site for our multiple choice quizzes topic by topic and i believe that we've now got to the point where we've caught up with our scheme of work so we've got everything in up to the end of the first terms teaching and uh, and, and ready to start uh, uploading materials for that second term so that's uh, again something that's that's going very nicely that's great. Well, um, Andrew Taylor, thanks so much for being our first guest on the Relaunch Mr. Barton podcast. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you. That was mostly a pleasure, Craig. So there was my interview with Andrew Taylor, the head of mathematics at AQA. I hope you found that interesting. Just listening back to the interview myself, a few things struck me that I just wanted to talk about before I wrap up this first episode of the podcast. The first is this whole issue of level boundaries. And I know I keep going back to this and I tried to push Andrew on it. And I also appreciate that he can't give us a definitive answer. But I don't know about you, I'm, I'm worried about this. It's a concern as a maths teacher 
because it's all well and good having all these sample assessment materials and giving them to the students to get them used to the style of questioning. But unless we've got something to judge their performance against, it's hard to know exactly what tier to put the students in, especially those, those key students, because we're told, and Andrew said it himself, he'd expect to move towards foundation tier, but if we give a student a sample assessment material and they score 30%, 25% on a higher paper, is that gonna be a level four, a level five? And this whole lore of these few notional level threes, and, and I noticed Andrew was very careful to say they're not gonna be issued to many students, they're only gonna be a couple marks below a level four. But I don't know, I've, I've just got a suspicion that in the first run through of this, this exam, there aren't gonna be many of the exam boards who are gonna want a load of people to be bombing out on their higher tier. So are they gonna try and push this level three boundary just down a little bit, just to capture as many students as possible? And if that's the case, where is your incentive to put a lot of your students in for the foundation tier, especially those kind of CD borderline students now? And I think the point that Andrew made about it very much depends on the individual students is an important one because having seen a lot of the sample assessment materials and worked my way through them across all the boards it really does strike me that it's it's kind of more psychological and a more test of character as much as it is a test of mathematical ability and if you've got some of those students who if they get two or three bad questions in a row that they can't access they just down tools then they're really going to struggle with this with this new maths gcse more so than they do with the current one but if you've got the kind of students, and perhaps you can train them to be like this, who if they get hit by two or three bad questions, they just kind of pick themselves up and go searching through the paper, trying to find some marks they can get, then probably they're going to be all right, and maybe they would be leaning towards the higher tier. But it still breaks my heart that we have to put students in for exams where they can't access the vast majority of the content. And I know we don't have to, I know it's kind of our choice, but you've got to do what's best for the kids. And... The bottom line is the way the GCSE is structured at the moment, for a lot of students, it is in their best interest in terms of the grade that they're likely to get to put them in for an exam where they can't access the vast majority of the material. And my fear is that that may still be the case, at least for the first few sittings of this new maths GCSE, especially with this notional level three for the higher tier in there. Anyway, that was my first thought. And my second thought was just a kind of word of advice. And that's make the most of all the resources that are out there for this new GCSE, regardless of what exam board you're thinking of going with. So as I said in the introduction, we haven't made a decision at our school um, whether, whether we're going to stick with NXL or jump ship to AQA, OCR or whatever. But I'll tell you what we are doing, and that's absolutely bleeding uh, the websites dry. We're taking every resource AQA, OCR and NXL have got to offer. And we're using them for homeworks, for topic tests, for practice tests. And with our current year 10, uh, for their assessment each half term, we're giving them, uh, let me get this in the right order, AQA uh, at Christmas, Edexcel at Easter and OCR at summer just to try them out with the different styles of papers. And I think that's that's good advice. Just whatever board you, you, you think you're going to go for, it doesn't matter. Just just use all the exam boards resources whilst, whilst they're out there because there's some top quality stuff. And I promise I'm going to push um, Edexcel and OCR a little bit more on this level boundary issue just to see if I can get a few more answers out of them. Anyway, I know what you're all thinking. Is it, surely it must be time for the podcast puzzle. Well, I'm pleased to say it is. And for this, I'm going to hand back over to Andrew Taylor. My maths puzzle or problem, uh, as I've been speak to a lot of teachers about core maths and about kind of estimation problems my problem is how many polos would it take to fill the holes in a packet of polos well congratulations for surviving till the end of the podcast all that remains for me to do is to once again thank Andrew Taylor, the Head of Maths at AQA, for being kind enough to be our first guest on the podcast, and to thank podcastthemes.com for providing for free the lovely little jazzy opening theme tune and the music that you hear between interview segments. I will return shortly with another podcast, so keep an eye out on mrbartonmaths.com forward slash blog for news of that, 
or better still, please subscribe for free on iTunes, Stitcher or any other podcast provider so you'll automatically receive the next episode. In the meantime, if you want to get in contact, I am on Twitter at MrBartonMaths or you can email me via my website and that's teachers at MrBartonMaths.com. And thank you so much for listening. I'm really excited about some of the guests I've got lined up over the next 12 months or so. Some of the biggest names in maths blogging, the people that you want to hear from. And I'm really looking forward to bringing that to you. So please help spread the word that the podcast is back and I will see you soon with another episode. Take care. Thanks for listening and bye for now.